This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elkshape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man, your host, Welcome to season five. Here we go. This podcast is brought to you by discipline, delayed gratification, and being accountable to yourself. This podcast is about finding the high road, working hard every day, creating the best possible version of yourself. Our values are faith, family, fitness, finances, elk hunting, and career. Our guiding principles are authenticity, transparency, and out hustling the competition. Our podcast is brought to you by Buck Knives, Onyx Hunt, Vortex Optics, Wilderness Athlete, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Crispy USA, Matthews Archery, Kufaru International, and BlackOvis.com. Elkshade Podcast, Dan the Fitness Man, your host. What's up, everybody? We're going to do an actual podcast on training today. Bringing Jeremy Graves on, he's a CrossFit coach. He's a strength and conditioning coach. He actually is seminar staff for CrossFit HQ. He's a bow hunter. And this guy and I are going to literally sit down and carve out a path for you to quit being so weak mentally. Now, don't take offense because we all can succumb to mental fatigue. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. And I'm here to tell you, if you can put yourself in some uncomfortable situations prior to elk season... Get to know pain, good pain. Get to know discomfort, good discomfort. And then be prepared to kick discomfort and mental weakness square in the you-know-what come September because the chips will be down, guaranteed. Hunting's hard. Anything you do in life worth doing is going to be hard. If it comes easy, it won't last. And if it lasts, it won't come easy. So we're going to sit down and break down a plan, an approach to your fitness, your nutrition. We're going to talk some bow hunting. This is with Jeremy Graves, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. What's up, everybody? How are you? Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. Got a guy here who uh, 
knows a thing about strength and conditioning is a hunter. He is currently in New Mexico. Jeremy Graves, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? Welcome to the podcast. It's not even like that cool to have your own podcast, man. It's like, uh, I have a cell phone. Oh, cool. Well, I have a podcast. Oh, I do too. All right. Well, here we are. This is year five for us. One might have one, but they're not all successful. Like this one has a, you know, has an audience. I hope so. Still pretty cool. <laughs> I hope somebody's out there listening. And I want to make today's episode, as the kids say on TikTok, a banger. Uh, that's a good question. Do you have a TikTok? I don't have a TikTok. Yeah, I don't either. Um, none of my children will ever be allowed to have one, ever. And uh, that's all. Let's move on. So you're a strength and conditioning guy, dude. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, tell me about where did you go to college? Where did you graduate from? And then how did you get into strength and conditioning? Sure. Um, I did my undergrad at Texas A&M University, the Texas A&M University. <laughs> yeah. Big fan. I think that's like, a, I think you're forced, you're brainwashed into being obsessed with that place while you're there. But um, yeah, super proud of that place. Love it. Um, that's where I did my undergrad. Um, I have a master's that I'm taking my last class for right now. I did that at Liberty University. Super proud of that place as well, too. But I did a master's in human performance um, from them. And I literally just started applying for my uh, PhD just this past week. Um, and so I'll probably be taking off in January to, to go to school there. I'm hoping to land a spot at East Tennessee. So that's like the formal education there. Pretty formal. Are you going to be a prof? Are you going to be like teach or research? Um, I like the reason I'm doing the PhD is not for, it's kind of like a necessary evil. I w I'd like to be able to do anything that I feel called to do. I really love presenting and teaching. Um, even what I do with CrossFit, I, it's, it is physical. Yes, it is in the weight room. Yes. But what you're doing is largely teaching um, and helping people understand what it is we're doing, why we're doing, giving them some sort of theoretical basis for why we do things the way we do it. So they can go teach that to others. So yes, you're a coach. Yes, you're a trainer, but you're largely a teacher. But man, I love the weight room. And so, you know, getting me out of the weight room and full time in a classroom, that'd be pretty tough. So landing at a, you know, an institution or business where I can do them both. That, that's why I'm going back to school for the PhD is to have the ability to do all of it. Well, you said the C word. So I guess we'll have to talk about uh, that. We'll get into it, guys. Don't worry. Uh, pause on the career. What? Uh, when did you start hunting? So um, I'll shamelessly tell you, I, I mean, as an active guy, I started watching YouTube videos of this guy. People might have heard of him. I think his name's Cameron Haynes, something like that. You know, uh, people yeah. may know this guy. Um, and I was just drawn to the how physical bow hunting was and how he blended um, developing his body, training his body for this thing that he thought was so difficult, so challenging. And I hunting for me growing up in Texas, you, you look at it and it's like, well, it's high fence and it's sit at the feeder. And um, you see guys that do hunt, not that there's anything wrong with it, but there was nothing fit or, you know, demanding about what they were doing, especially some of these guided hunts at these high fence ranches. And then you start being exposed to what happens out West with this spot and stock style of hunting. And I just started to watch videos. This is probably at the very beginning of the pandemic where 
you're just kind of looking for other things to do that can get you outside. And I landed on this bow hunting and I was like, Oh my gosh, like I want to do this. And then this past season has been my first season where I, um, you know, drew tags out here in New Mexico, went on a mule deer hunt, got out in the woods, went on an elk hunt. So this past season was my first season. I went on a, a bunch of different hunts, um, barberry hunts up here in the mountains, you know, did the elk hunt, did the mule deer hunt. Um, I did a whitetail hunt in Wisconsin. Um, so this was my first real season applying some of these principles to, you know, to what you guys do. Damn, man. We, you, you dove in, you're all or none. Yeah. I, I'm lucky because a lot of people around me do it. So I didn't have to, I would kind of tag along and, you know, I mean, you know, hunters like who have big hearts, they, they're trying to grow hunting. And so the second you have a buddy who's been your buddy, who's like, Hey, I, I want to do this. They're like, okay, great. And they, they do their best to help you. I mean, my first, the bow I have right now, I bought, I'm, my buddy bought this bow for like a thousand dollars. He was going to get a new bow and he sold me his for like 600 bucks, gave me arrows, gave me, you know, a sight, gave me a quiver, gave me field points, helped me with a target, helped me set it up. I mean, I've gotten a ton of help. It has not been the buddy that got you involved. Like, are you guys best friends? Like you guys are like workout partners. Like how do you guys connect? Yeah. Um, it's friends up in, up where I live now in Cloudcroft, which is this small little mountain town. And there is like a group of people up there in their mid thirties who like to hike, who like to hunt. We all have kids the same age. We're like that parent group, but we're Sweet. still young and fun and want to, you know, drink beers together on Friday and then go shoot on Sunday mornings and, you know, try to draw tags and stuff. And me and a couple of the guys all hunt them specifically bow hunt. We just kind of clicked. I had mentioned to them, I was really getting into it. I had a rifle and I was doing rifle hunting, but they were like, dude, no, you got to get into this archery thing. Um, and he was like, in fact, I'm getting a new bow. I have a bow, which was a great bow. He'd only had it for a year. It just didn't work for him. So I bought it from him and we were off to the races. Okay. Pause on hunting back to career. Uh, so you said pre-roll, you basically worked for a private physical therapy company, which is kind of common. And then you went out on your own. So let's talk a little bit about having the balls to go out on your own and be self-employed. And, um, what did you decide to do there? Yeah, well, it was kind of, it, it, it was a little bit of luck, a little bit kind of forced um, but I think stuff happens like that often I think for probably most of us but when I was at Texas A&M every year I would go back and work at this strength and conditioning facility um, and I, I mean I started when it comes to the gym I've worked at every level like I've sat at the front desk and swiped cards I've walked around and given tours to people who are new uh, then I walked around with people who are new and showed them how to use all the equipment then I went and got a personal trainer license and did personal training then I had this great experience where at this specific facility, we had athletic performance with this guy who coached everyone from middle school and high school athletes to kids who had been drafted into major league baseball to guys who were showing up training for the NFL combine. And he was the head coach. He'd write these programs and then he would have me take the guys through the program. So I didn't write the programs, but I'd take them through them. I did this every year while I was in college. Every summer, every spring break, I'd go back there and I'd work for these guys. Graduate, 
work my first summer after graduating for him again. Then there's a, a business, a physical therapy company in California. Um, and I lived in Texas doing the same thing, looking to start this program. I apply for it. I interview, they hire me, they bring me out there. After, and it was going great. So for about a year, I worked for this company. I started a, a group fitness class that was just for general population. We were working with athletes. We were working with kids coming back from ACL injuries, um, anything that they might have seen the physical therapist for and then want to get back into training for their sport. We were the transition for them. Um, picked up a couple of professional athletes while we were there. I trained uh, some members of Team USA softball while I was there. We had a bunch of different athletes. After about a year, that physical therapy clinic got bought out and they were going to move locations, not continue the program. I was literally, you know, facing this decision. Okay, well, I'll just go back to Texas then. And I've been out here for a year. Um, just didn't sit well with me. I was like, I have all these clients. I mean, why can't I just switch them over from paying the company and then I work for the company to me starting a company? And just training myself. Worst case scenario, that doesn't work out. And I'll go home. Well, I left California 10 years later, sold two gyms and, uh, you know, ended up exclusively working for CrossFit at that point. Um, but it all worked out and it just was, you know, one thing after the next, it kind of just snowballed into what it eventually was nearly 10 years later. Okay, that's interesting. So you're, um, how hard was it to sell your CrossFit gyms? Like, was it tough to find a buyer? Yes and no. Um, one of them sold pretty easily. I mean, it was in Monterey, California. It's beautiful. Um, that one sold pretty easy because there were a lot of people trying to get after it. Our other location, which is the one in that gym, we actually bought, we were like the third owners of that place. We just gave it a facelift and hired new staff and injected our culture into it. The original gym um, was in a little bit of a tougher market. It was, um, in Salinas, California, that gym we put on the market, we knew what we wanted to sell it for. We were having trouble people buy it for what we wanted to get for it. We just dissolved it. Um, the other tough part was two gyms had just opened up in that town. So anybody who might've been interested in buying it had just spent all this money and opened up their own places. So we just, uh, we kind of, we talked to the other owners. They had decided to, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that everyone had their best chance and do their own thing. We're like, look, let's, instead of all this headache, we, we already knew we were moving back to Texas. Let's just dissolve this one. And uh, we sold the other one and move on. And I was ready to get out. I had just been in, you know, had a terrible year. I was in the hospital for months after a motorcycle accident. I was ready to, to just do something else for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Uh, so you said we, you had business partners. No, my, uh, my wife and I. Okay. Okay, cool. So it was just you. Uh, yeah, man. Well, talking about CrossFit gyms and ownership, I think that's actually why like, why like, yeah, that's why I got out quite honestly. So opened in 2008 and by the time I sold in 2019, I think at least on one hand, maybe two, I can count how many people either worked for me or were a member of my gym that went on to open their own gyms and several of them opened them in the same town. And I'm just not smart. I'm not a good, I'm just not that smart. If I was smart, I would have been like, Oh, you want to open your own gym? Cool. Um, 
let me be part owner. I'll be a silent partner, an advisor. I'll get a percentage. Your success is our success. Uh, but competitive Dan would just be like, oh, you want to compete against me? Bring it on. And looking back, it's like it's too bad. But uh, at the end of the day, that was the worst part was like having more CrossFit gyms open up. So guys listening, CrossFit is an affiliation. It's not a franchise. There are no, it's kind of a little wild, wild west, or at least it certainly was when I started. There might be more things now. Um, but the, you know, the cream always does rise to the crop, but I didn't have, I was callous. I had people go try these other gyms, join them. And then maybe they eventually come back. And I just, I don't know, man. That stuff sucks. I, that's the part of business that uh, I, I'm glad. I'm appreciative of it. I, I've learned my lessons that, you know, there's plenty of pie for everybody. It's a thing, right? Like, look at your business now. I mean, if I think about, I, I mean, I did not run a perfect business, but your business now is a result of the lessons you learned then. And man, are there so many to learn. I, I would have done a hundred things different if I were to open a gym right now. Certainly that's, well, I appreciate the grind of owning a CrossFit gym because it is definitely, um, it's not lucrative. I mean, it, it certainly could be, but ultimately it's a lot of work and it's, it's a people business and anything in life is probably could be called a, a people business. When you got recruited by CrossFit, you're talk guys listening. He's talking about CrossFit HQ, CrossFit Inc. And you said you were on. You've been on the seminar staff for the last three and a half years. Is that right? Yeah, we. I got on, um, and then oh man, that process is a nightmare. Like they certainly don't recruit you. You have to like, I mean, you're jumping through hoops of fire to to try to get on that team. That's a whole nother talk. But um, that was in 2018. Okay, <laughs> I'm laughing because nothing's changed. I I remember. You'll like this. <clears throat> so. CSCS, Masters in Exercise Physiology, like pretty big ego. I'm like, CrossFit, uh, go online. They got a level one. No, I'm not doing that. They got a level two. And this was when they were in their you know infancy. So I could sign up for a level two. They didn't have – so I just did that. I was like, I'm not taking level one. Uh, took a level two. And I remember my first uh, – I, I didn't know anything really about CrossFit, to be honest with you, Jeremy. But I showed up to level two at uh, the original CrossFit gym in Santa Cruz, California, and it was like some OGs. It was like Nicole Carroll was our instructor, and helping out was Andy Stump, uh, who was a pain in the ass. And, um, yep, and uh, Pat Sherwood, uh, the McKinsey guy, the runner guy, what's his name, Brian McKinsey, he was taking the cert. Uh, I can't remember. There's a bunch of people that eventually went to go work for CrossFit full time that were in my class. Uh, and then I did pass, but they said with an asterisk, you have to go do your level one first, and then we'll give you both of your certs. And then I eventually tried to be on level one seminar staff. And so I think I did one internship and it went really well. And then I talked to them and they're like, yep, you need to do like two or three more. And I'm like, I'm trying to run a gym. I just had a, you know, I just got married and I, you got to tr pay for your, all your stuff to go. And so I was like, this ain't, this ain't worth it. But I always thought it would have been cool to do that. So tell me about it. So if you're like, if we go back, cause we kind of did this around the same time. I was a couple of years behind you. Uh, my, I opened my gym in 2011. Um, and then we, 
2019 is when I closed up, sold one, closed the other, moved to Texas. So when I was, when you own a CrossFit gym and you're all in on CrossFit, that like the top of that mountain is working for CrossFit, doing the seminars, because when you go to the seminar, I mean, even people who are crew, I have a CSCS as well. You know, I, I, I go to the NSCA convention. Like I I'm not on a team. I work for the company. Yes. Because I a hundred percent believe in it. And we can talk more about how it fits in later, but I believe in it hundred percent. Um, and I believe in what Greg originally put out there is this is the way to build capacity. Um, if you're looking for this certain thing, with that being said, I wanted to be on the team. You go to the level one and it, it blows everybody away. Even the critics who are there, they're like, Oh shit. I, I didn't think it was going to be this. So I wanted to be on the team. So you apply if they, you hear through the grapevine that they might be taking on people, you apply to intern. And all that means basically is you're going to fly yourself to a seminar, put yourself in a hotel. My seminars were Alaska, <laughs> uh, Hawaii, Utah, uh, San Antonio. I lived in California at this time. So, and I, again, I owned a business too. I had uh, a girlfriend at the time. We weren't married and no kids. So it was a little easier for me, but I did three of them um, at the end of the third. And basically what they do is they just throw you in and they say, all right, well, you're going to do this and I'm going to watch. There is no teaching. There's no developing on your... For you, it is, we want to see what you have right now. And I got to my third internship um, and the, the flow master who was running the course basically just said, you're not ready, you need more time, come back in a year. And I paid my way to three of these. And you just you literally you say, okay, and, and you're, you think you're the shit, right? <laughs> and, and they tell you, hey, sorry, you're, you're not ready. You're not ready for this. So about two years go by and uh, I was married at this point. Our gyms are doing really well. I was competing nationally in weightlifting. Like I had moved on and it's Christmas time. And my, my wife gives me a present and it's, it's just like a wrapped up, like, you know, limp little present. And I open it up and it was a seminar staff t-shirt that a friend on seminar staff had given me years ago. Cause they knew I was just a big, like, I loved it. And I wanted to do that one day. He gave it to me like his motivation. And when it didn't work out, and I was bummed and really my feelings were hurt and I was depressed. Like six months after that, I threw it away because I, I didn't want to see it anymore because it reminded me of failing. Oh, God, that hurts me to hear that. I was depressed. It was the only thing in my life. I was a college athlete. Like, I mean, I it was the only I had applied, every job I'd ever applied for I had gotten. This was the first thing that somebody told me, you're not good enough. So I didn't want to see it, threw it away. My wife without me knowing, got it out and just kept it hidden away in all of her stuff. Two years later, she gives it to me as a Christmas present and says, I think you need to apply and do this again. Like I can tell it's still something you want. And I was like, you know, I had just taken the level three exam and that was the criteria to intern. You had to be a level three. They had just rolled this thing out. So I applied again, got a spot, did three, Two people at the third internship my second time around were there the first time I went through. It was just stupid, dumb luck. And they pulled me outside on day one and they say, you know, we remember how much you went through. We remember how much you worked and we want you to know this has nothing to do with that. You busted your ass. You're great at what you do. You would add value to this team. We're going to recommend that you uh, 
you'd be a part of the seminar staff. And a week later, I got an email from Nicole Carroll and Dave Castro offering me a job. That's badass, man. That's really cool. Well, oh, you shouldn't have brought up the C word because I love, I love, I believe CrossFit, y'all. Like at the end of the day, I'm a GPP guy, like at the end of the day. And um, Jeremy, I don't run, I don't ruck, but I crush those mountains from doing mainly CrossFit. And people hate hearing that, but we'll get to that. You, you got, you've been on the seminar staff through some troubling times for CrossFit. So think about me walking away from the gym. I sold it. So I made money. Um, and then the, the poor guy who buys my gym, as soon as that happens, uh, I think Greg Glassman, the, the founder put out a tweet about Floyd. 19. Okay. Yeah. Floyd 19 COVID and the, the Glassman tweet did two things. One, COVID stopped people from being able to run their businesses. And number two, then your founder makes a comment that stirred up people that are woke. And then you had cancel culture within CrossFit where I don't know how many gyms de-affiliated. Um, I remember the guy that I sold the gym to, he asked me and I said, dude, write it out if you're really truly a believer in the CrossFit methodology. And he did, but he had two really, like his first two years of owning the gym sucked. And I felt he, he survived it. He weathered the storm. How was that for you working for HQ with all those changes of CEOs and COVIDs and all that stuff? Yeah. I mean, you, you do as an affiliate, like when COVID happened, I didn't own a brick and mortar affiliate. We had a, an online program and we had a sweet garage gym, not quite your pole barn, but we had an awesome place that people came and trained and they knew what I did. So there was a lot of, there was no shortage of people who did CrossFit in the area. Um, it was like a South Austin, North San Antonio town. It was a great little town um, in New Braunfels, Texas. We had a good thing going. And when the Greg thing happened, so for us on the team, Greg is, it's like a, you know, double-edged sword. He was a genius. And when it came to training and speaking the truth um, and finding out who's politically involved with trying to manipulate who can coach people and who can't and why and where the money goes. I mean, he fought like hell to make sure people could be coaches and the, sp- and the truth was spoken at all times. But that's always, not always a good thing. And so what you talk about like this culture we have now and everybody's welcoming. Look, look what's happening with Joe Rogan. You take something and you twist it and you make it look how you want it to look. And that happened with Greg. And he needed to sell to, to just get out of it. I mean, the guy took a garage gym to a billion-dollar company. I mean, I would have sold too. Why, who needs that trouble? But what we had to do at seminars was be ready to answer the questions and talk about Greg. And if the short answer is CrossFit's way bigger than one person, the methodology, even, even if he's an ass, if you want to think he is, that doesn't mean the methodology isn't real and works. I mean, that's evident. We've been doing this for more than 20 years now. It's built some of the most amazing and wide ranging and um, impressive athletes in the world. That hasn't changed. And when you get down and then what happens in your gym, the community you have, the people that you're taking care of, the honesty in that place, that doesn't change. So it helped a little bit when, when Greg sold and there's a new CEO, now it's still a little rocky and, you know, CrossFit's finding its way, but on seminar staff, we have been the stable pillar of that company 
since its inception and we continue to be. So that part hasn't been too tough. You tell people that at the seminars, you get through the first couple hours, they immediately remember why they're there. And so that, that part's yeah. been kind of easy, but yeah, it's been rocky, man. And it's hard on gyms too. That's tough. So yeah, we probably don't provide enough context by just you and me talking. So Glassman founded CrossFit, like what, 2001? 2000, he started doing stuff. Um, 2001, they went online. Bought a domain. All he did was just write up a workout of the day. During that era, he wrote a piece that changed my life. You know what I'm talking about, the CrossFit Journal, the number one. What is fitness? And and to me, you know, for coming from academia and then being a CSCS guy, so National Strength and Condition Association, I mean, this all like flipped everything I kind of was believing on top of its head. And he backed it up with, he was the first one to define fitness for me, like an actual definition of fitness. He's the first one to really like bring in math and physics when you're talking about fitness, not like perceived exertion, but actual, let's do the mathematics. He has, a, you know, I think his dad was a professor. Engineer or something. Or engineer or something. He is a genius. Prior to this tweet, which I'll explain, and I'm going to have your help, Jeremy, he was at war with the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Because quite honestly, he smelled, he sniffed out some corrupt behavior. Like, and this is not hearsay. This is all, your yeah. your listeners can go verify this. It's You can Google it and it's there. He, he did such a good job of showing like, hey, NSCA's journals of research, you know, a lot of their research is paid and bought by influence outside their window. Like they're, you can influence or persuade them to study and make those results come out. And then so NSCA did a, a research piece on CrossFit and they got their asses sued and they lost in court because their studies showed that CrossFit injured people. And boy, did they lose like, like big time. And I don't know if they've ever recovered, but I, Jeremy, I dropped my CSCS at that. I was like, you know what? I don't even need a CSCS. People don't care what I know. They want to know that I care. I let it slide. That was the first thing. And then he went to bat with Coca-Cola and we don't have time to, to break all that down, but he was huge about fighting what was for right, like what, what should be right. And so the pandemic started, the Floyd deal came out and he did a tweet that was probably extremely insensitive. It was Floyd dash 19. And that was all the tweet was right. Right. That was, that was his tweet. And he, the problem is it was, it's like everything else that's happened. It was completely taken out of context. He had been going at it with the CDC, basically posting about their handling of COVID-19 and the misinformation and misrepresentation of the real risk factors. And in, in, again, this would be in his opinion, which we're seeing verified in the data today, obviously. Two years ago, did he do that? Was that two years ago? Two, two years ago, he gave a lecture. He put it online, basically saying chronic illness and obesity and lifestyle choices made you at risk for COVID-19 more so than maybe somebody who was fit and healthy. So two years ago, we were washing down the packages that showed up on our door because we were all scared because the, the CDC had, had created this. And two years later, Joe Rogan is like standing up saying, quit being fat, quit making poor choices, comorbidities, your lifestyle – and, and they're shutting him down. But Greg was two years out in front of this saying, look, you want to fight off the ravages of disease? Take care of your wellness, not your fitness, your wellness. And that's nutrition and fitness recovery. 20 years ago. 
<laughs> truthfully, 20 years ago. So you know what? I'm going to say it. I'm, I'm a Glassman guy. I, I, I mean, regardless of the, the, the context of the tweet, I understand that he's a mad genius. And uh, so that's going to lead me to my next question. This guy, Eric, comes on as the new CEO of CrossFit, Rosa. Okay. And then he fires the guy who does all the programming and organizing from a macro view. Dave Castro. Baku e-bikes. These guys provide awesome e-bikes for the mountains. I use them out west, specifically logging roads. They have more torque than any other e-bike competitor. They're built for hunters by hunters. They're an awesome brand to work with out of Salt Lake City. Check them out at Baku.com. BlackOvis.com is where I buy all my hunting gear. I have a discount code that I use myself. It is elk shape. It takes 10% off. Their shipping is fast and free. Their selection is vast and deep. Go to blackovis.com. Check out their full lineup of clothing, footwear, optics, archery, arrows, camping, and all the brands. Spy Point Trail Cameras, the world's number one cellular trail camera brand. Extremely affordable. My favorite is the Link Micro LTE, the smallest Best value camera, dependable, reliable. Go to spypoint.com and check out all their options when it comes to trail cameras and accessories. Kafaru International, my good homeboy, Aaron Snyder and Frank the Tank. These guys are American made, 100%. I typically use the Hoodlum, the 22 Mag or the Striker XL in the backcountry. The frame is second to none. Head over to Kufaru International. Be sure to check out their packs, their frames, tents, shelters, sleeping systems, stoves, lots of accessories, as well as closeouts. You won't be disappointed. Matthews Archery. Introducing the all-new V3X. You have a 29 and 33 option. These guys are out of Sparta, Wisconsin. Head over to MatthewsInc.com. Click the bow builder and start customizing your next awesome bow hunting rig. Crispy USA. Head over to crispyus.com, peruse the vast selection of awesome boots from mountaineering, backpacking, and of course, my favorite, the Colorado GTX for elk hunting. There are also some good options for everyday wear, like my daily driver, the Ativa Mid GTX. And then if you're into stocking like I am, look no further than the Laponia GTX. Check out the core boot lineup. Everything starts from the ground up on your next adventure. Choose wisely. Be sure to check out crispyus.com. So a year goes by. They ha- Eric buys the company with an investment group. Okay. How much did they buy it for? Undisclosed millions. Uh, millions. I think the you know, $250, 300000000 million number has been thrown around a lot. Um, this is all public information. It's not like I'm sharing any sort of like insight. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's all, it's all well known. And so, and then very publicly, uh, you know, about a month ago or so, um, the one of the staple characters in CrossFit, leading faces, Dave Castro, got fired. So I'm I don't pay that much attention, but I got some diehard friends that are into it, and I got two pictures texted to me. One was with Castro, the guy who got fired, in a picture with Glassman, the founder that we were just talking about, and then a week before that was a picture of Castro with a dead pig that he hunted and killed. And my buddy has was kind of theorizing that Castro got fired because the new CrossFit's woke. They can't stomach the fact that Castro would be hanging out with Glassman, who could do such a mean tweet, and that Castro is out killing innocent animals, even though CrossFit preaches a paleo diet. So 
is any of that hold water? And sorry, I'm just I don't I don't I'm not in I'm not in the in crowd anymore. Is that anything? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean those are certainly things people say in terms of speculation. Everybody can speculate what they want. I think the the what was presented to the public was CrossFit's moving in a direction, and they want somebody with a business mindset and the um, outward engaging um, understand like the understanding of how everything they do represents the company. Um, so therefore, you could say, well, maybe they didn't like how he was, you know, how he would out his haters or he would post pictures of dead animals how dare he or be friends with greg um there's lots of theories all we know is crossfit was going in a direction and the people running crossfit at the time thought that they needed to put somebody else in that role that would be better suited for the direction they were going in and again this isn't anything i'm telling you from the inside this is all stuff that they are putting out to the world yeah I just don't follow, so that's why I'm asking you. You're you're in it a little. So is Nicole Carroll still kind of your boss? Yeah, for sure. She's um, she's our kind of north star still for the training staff. She's the person that we look to as she keeps the flame blowing. She knows what it is we're here to do. She makes sure that we, as the seminar staff, I mean, CrossFit as a company can change. We still wear a red shirt and go talk about constantly very functionally the XQ high intensity. We still preach the, you know, nutrition protocol. We still talk about changing someone's life through this protocol. That hasn't changed in 20 years. It's grown. It's evolved. It's it's been presented better. But the message, the mission, that's all still constant. And Nicole makes sure that. Okay. I will say, folks listening, a level one seminar, a level one weekend, it's an incredible experience. You will chug the Kool-Aid and then you'll walk around very sore on Monday because they you touched a PVC pipe all weekend. Um, there's no other place where you can get that sore from learning how to do basic fundamental movements with a piece of PVC pipe. Would you agree? Yeah. Well, there's also no other place. There's, I mean, I have my CSCS as well through the NSCA, um, other licenses as well. People sometimes will say, oh, it's just one weekend. What can you learn? Or how can you open a gym one weekend? Well, I mean, you can open a gym tomorrow and have nothing. You don't, nobody says you have to go and get education. Anyone can open a gym just because they like to exercise. Now, CrossFit is the one that started practical and theory in one time. So now with the NSCA, for example, if you wanted to be a certified personal trainer, you can take the test and also elect to go do a one day or two day practical seminar. Well, they'll teach you all the things you were tested on in CrossFit. They were the first one to require it prior to the exam. Good for you. Go in person. Yeah. Yeah. So NSCA, I I love hearing that because you had to have a four-year degree to take the test. I don't know if that's still the... Still. Okay. Kind of cool. I always, you know, it's a feather in your hat, but then to have that like practical application uh, man, that's exciting. So your weekends with you, what are you a flow master at this point or what do you usually teach all the things? How does that work? Yeah, it works on a continuum. So the newer you are, the less you teach. You're kind of like when you get hired, you're kind of just there. Um, and let's say there's 30 participants, all the theory stuff, everyone's going to be together. And the more senior staff are going to lecture on those subjects. Like you talked about, there's a, what is CrossFit lecture that kicks off the weekend. There's a what is fitness lecture. There's a nutrition lecture. There's an ex. There's a lecture on intensity and technique. Then there's the practical breakouts where we'll we'll lecture on the principles of the squat. And as you know, there'll be somebody up on a box demoing in a lecture, breaking everything down. And I don't care if you're in Miami, Florida, or if you're in Taiwan, 
the lecture is going to be the same because it's an accredited course and everyone's going to have their own style, but everyone gets the same information because it's all presented in accordance with what's tested. Um, and then when the breakout groups happen, you're actually going to go squat, like you said. And then if you're new, then you'll get a little group to yourself. Um, so I've been on it long enough where I, I have the ability to teach everything. So every weekend, like I have to go to San Antonio this weekend and teach. You get a week prior, you get the schedule and you figure out what your assignments are that weekend and you prep your assignments, you show up, you do your assignments. If it's, if, you know, the flow masters who's running the weekend, those guys have been doing it seven, eight, nine years. Somebody like me who's three years, you still feel like you're learning a ton. And then there's people who have been on it six months a year. So I'm like right in the middle, not, certainly not like some of the seasoned veterans, um, people I look up to and have for years. Um, but there's newer folks too, and they're a little bit more limited in what they can teach. Is there a cat named Todd who's a flow master from Montana originally? Yeah, Todd Widman. Yeah, is he still in the game? Still, on, yeah, he doesn't do a lot of those guys you're referencing are like old school guys from the beginning. <laughs> they work more up in like uh, um, they're doing administrative things now. Okay. So, but there's a lot of them are still around. Okay, well, let's switch gears into what college sports did you play and talk to me about your weightlifting background. I'm obsessed with weightlifting. I used to do it a little bit with, you know, competing, but I love that stuff. It's, uh, weightlifting's awesome. Um, I was a lacrosse player. I played lacrosse from eighth grade. It was so funny. It, it's it, it's like hunting, you know, like it was one of those things where when I first saw it, they, t they showed it to us in PE class. I was in seventh or eighth grade and I saw it. And they showed us a video of, of guys playing. And then we got these like plastic sticks and played. And when I saw it, I mean, it's hockey, but everything's up in the air. And the contact, the speed, the way the game was played, it just, I had played baseball. I had played football. I had played soccer. I'd done all those things. Lacrosse, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And really, from the time I was in seventh grade, to when I graduated from college, I was obsessed with lacrosse. I mean, I went to camps, I trained for it, but I was always kind of small. I mean, I weighed, at, when I was in high, a senior in high school, I was probably 5'9", which is not short, but weighed 150 pounds. Like, that's a small, skinny kid. And I got to college. I went and looked at a couple different places. I was being talked to by different places. I went to A&M one time. I was like, this is it. I'm going to Texas A&M. And I remember my coach, um, the first off season telling me, and this is kind of how I found strength and conditioning. He's like, your, your skills for the game and your knowledge of the great game are great, but you're small. And if you want to play, like you're going to have to get bigger. Like it's a whole different thing now. And I took that really seriously. And I started to train. And everything changed, like between the ears, my aggression, uh, my ability to go out and enact my will on a play, knock guys over, take the ball away, everything changed. And that that's what I take with me now. My whole experience with lacrosse, the whole, how I viewed myself as a young man, I was proud. I was, my chest was out. I got tighter shirts. <laughs> like yeah. everything about me changed and I realized the weight room can change people's lives and it can enhance whatever it is you're doing 
and I'm sure we'll get to it, but like it can make whatever you want to do more enjoyable, enjoyable because you're now more prepared and you can literally live up to your potential when before, like you might be just getting it done, but not getting the most out of it. Getting bigger, faster, stronger. Let me get the most out of my time as a college athlete. So that when I graduated from college, I even coached. I continued to coach. I coached the college team for a little while as an assistant coach. He ended up getting fired. I took over as, as the head coach. When I opened my businesses, I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. It's, this is going to take everything I have. Um, so I stopped. About a year later, I started coaching a high school team. Um, I love lacrosse. It's such a cool game. Weightlifting came, came way later. I was like, I owned the CrossFit gyms. There's, I, I make the joke all the time about snatching is, is as frustrating as archery is. Like, I will have a great day shooting. Like, yesterday, it's like I could not miss. Today, it's like I had never done it in my life. <laughs> I feel that. It's so, oh, man, it's so fun. But that's what makes it interesting. And that's what keeps you entertained. Learning the Olympic lifts and doing well is the same way. Like, you could snatch, you know, 100 kilos, 220 pounds one day, and it'll feel easy. The next day it literally is heavy to deadlift and you're like, what's going on? Um, so I, I kind of sank my teeth into that. I did it um, for a few years, competed, went to a couple of national level meets, um, worked for USA weightlifting for a little while, teaching their level one courses with one of my mentors. Um, and it just, then I had a kid. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the three hour training sessions a day went bye-bye. I feel that. You know, I like weightlifting from an athletic standpoint. Maybe this is the time to say high rep, high volume Olympic weightlifting. I certainly do it, but I also, you know, I put my shirt on first before I put my tie on. Like I have a, some deep roots into weightlifting and understanding the movements. Do I do one rep max snatch and clean and jerks anymore? No, actually I don't because... Number one, I don't want to cry myself to sleep knowing that I'm a shadow of what I used to be able to do. Black Rifle Coffee Company, established in 2014. Veteran-owned, proudly American. They support two-way, they support hunting, and coffee is life if you're just like me. Head over to BlackRifleCoffee.com, click the coffee club, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE, save 15% and have fresh new flavors of coffee delivered to your doorstep every month. Wilderness Athlete. I met the founder in 2006. I've been in love with this company ever since. They make a tremendous amount of products, not only for in the field, but during the off season when you're training and they got you covered when it comes to supplementing your nutritional intake. Look no further than the Hydrate Recover, whether you want to get tubs or the packets, energy and focus, meal replacements, daily strength protein, brute force pre-workouts, caffeine free and with stimulant, altitude advantage, joint advantage, omega-3 fish oil, and a bunch more head over to wildernessathlete.com and if you've never bought anything from them before make sure you enter the discount code elkshape30 to save 30 percent off your first purchase vortex optics proud partner since 2010 everything from rifle scopes binoculars range finders vortex wear and backed with their vip warranty unlimited unconditional you break it they'll fix it veteran owned proudly american head over to vortexoptics.com check out their vortex wear fit for everywhere use the discount code elkshape take 20 percent off your scouting everyday wear clothing and thank you vortex for supporting elkshape for over 10 years onyx hunt the number one hunting gp 
GPS app, you should join the millions of hunters who trust Onyx, including myself, to find more honey holes, discover new access, and to be confident and know where you stand. Use the discount code ElkShape to save 20% off an elite membership. Get all 50 states, be able to scout from a desktop and your phone. Everything syncs. You can go to 3D mode. Onyx Hunt is the cornerstone to all of my public land hunting success. Check it out at onxmaps.com. Buck Knives out of Post Falls, Idaho. Buck Knives has a wide variety of blade sharpness, lengths, finish, materials, whether they're serrated, carry systems, handle material, engravable, so many different accessories. Buck Knives has been in the game since 1902. They have a forever warranty and they proudly support Elk Shape. We ask that you check out bucknives.com and proudly support American-made knives that help you break down your animal in the backcountry. Numa Outdoors, use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your clothing. Numa has base layers, headwear, jackets, mid layers, outer pants, shirts, and vests. Check out the Pursuit Pant, the Renegade, Quarter Zip, Pullover, the Palisade, Puffy, the Alpha Vertex Jacket, and the sleek lineup of base layers, Base Haven, Quarter Zip, Pullover, as well as Base Haven Pants. But number two, like, I really get a dividend or two just from being able to do those higher rep Olympic weightlifting movements that you'll see in CrossFit. But for guys listening, don't don't get frustrated. Like, I certainly don't teach snatching, cleaning, and jerking at elk shape camps. Like, not at all. Very fundamental movements. But as you progress down the road, I, I certainly wouldn't preach against it. What's your thoughts on weightlifting? Weightlifting is not what Arnold Schwarzenegger did on his you know, documentary, he was doing bodybuilding, although people will call that weightlifting. No, weightlifting is an Olympic sport, y'all. It's a sport that you about capital W one word weightlifting. (laughs) Does weightlifting have a role in hunting strength and conditioning programs? Yeah. Um, I think that's a great question. And this is the stuff. Oh man. I love, we have a physical therapist here at work and we talk about training all day. Like I love to talk about training. That's that one of the main reasons I was excited to talk with you, just talk about training. And the, the cool thing is like, you could talk to probably 10 different strength coaches and you might get 10 different answers. Um, I certainly think it does. Uh, hunting, if we take what you guys are, are have you been doing your whole life? Uh, what I just got into, hunting is the application. Hunting is the sport. And so whether you've done it or not, a strength coach would look at the activity. Like I, I've never been a figure skater. I've never com- wrestled at the collegiate level. But if you're hired as a strength coach, what you're expected to do is look at that sport, do a needs analysis, which you're familiar with, and come up with what you think would be beneficial for that athlete. The Western hunter is now the athlete. And we think like, okay, does weightlifting has a role? Weightlifting is an athlete developing functional dominance. You're developing coordination. You need that as a hunter. You're developing agility. You need that as a hunter. You're developing timing, kinesthetic awareness to the highest degree. So does it fit? it can surely have a role. Does it need to be, does that mean somebody should be doing squat snatches on day one? No, no, no. It's, it's a house. You build it up and you implement it in whether that's, um, one rep max, which is you showing that functional dominance and the highest degree of combining all those skills we talked about high rep weightlifting is you using those movements that requires coordination, timing, speed, agility, you know, into a conditioning element and you have such a high capacity and develop those skills to the level that that's just fine. Also, it, it's relative. You're going much lighter 
you've worked the patterns before. If you don't think you can get a conditioning stimulus from working a barbell, you know, have somebody do a set of seven power cleans and tell me what their heart rate's doing and their respiratory rate's doing. Um, it gets it done. But you can do that with a sandbag clean too. And so training economy, you know, how, how long does it take to learn a power clean? This is why coaches make those other decisions. Do a trap bar, you know, jump and shrug and get the same thing as a power clean, power clean where I can get elements of it. And if I'm less skilled as a coach, maybe that's better. If I have less time with my athletes, maybe that's better. If the application doesn't necessarily require the transfer from a turnover and a power clean, well, maybe I do a sandbag or maybe I do a trap bar. So it's about all these decisions and different things to juggle. It's never going to be yes or no. I think they have a place. Sure. Well, that's a good answer. I like the idea of what does, you know, doing a needs analysis on a hunter, your answer, my answer could definitely look different, but there's going to be some things that intersect. Uh, I think we both can agree that first and foremost, having some sort of strength and conditioning packaged is not going to hurt your hunting experience. And everybody's hunting experience is going to be relative to, to, to where they're at in their journey. You're a newer hunter. I certainly am not new, but I have so much to learn, which is why I love hunting. I don't know it all. I'm learning every day. But both of us are going to have some paralleling like needs. I think hunting, specifically elk hunting is sort of a grind. You're setting up for a marathon. And the marathon is like this, Jeremy. You're going to bow hike, mostly. Uh, maybe you'll be able to glass, but you're going to cover so much country. You're not going to eat adequate amount of food because no one on this earth packs meats, vegetables, nuts, seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar in their backpack. We're going to be eating freeze-dried meals. Getting hydrated, staying hydrated is challenging because you're sweating. Water's limited. You can't carry enough. We're not backfilling with a lot of vitamins and minerals, and we're not getting a lot of sleep. And then you're certainly not getting a lot of sleep if you're hunting with me because we're not sleeping until we find the next elk to hunt the next day. You do that day in and day out. I tend to lean on the mental toughness that I get from doing these really shitty CrossFit workouts. So when you talk about programming and it needs analysis, I'm weird. I'm going to put at the top of the list – mental preparedness, not mental toughness, but I'm going to put that at the top of the list of like, okay, yep. you're soft, not maybe around your waist, but definitely between the ears. Here's how we're going to fix that. When you do your needs analysis, what's the first thing that pops up to you since you've experienced elk hunting now? I would say place to start. And I watched your video of you up on the box at your most recent camp talking to the guys about, Hey, I can tell who has a less likelihood of being successful because you quit on things that get tough. I, I do have a take on that. And I think coming from athletics helps with this. Cause I mean, I, I remember times where I'd be playing in a game. One time we were playing in the, in a conference championship against BYU. These kids were older than us. Cause they like leave and then they come back, they go on like missions. They come back and they're like 25 and you're 19 and they're just kicking your ass. And I remember I was trying so hard to get off the field cause I was dying. They literally call out my number. 18's tired, 18's tired, get me the ball, get me the ball. Holy crap. It took me to the goal because they knew I was dying. And all I wanted to do was get off the field. And uh, I think about that when I think about like how bad do you want things, um, how your level of conditioning is going to show up in your most adverse moment. So when you think about like what's at the top of the list, 
I think it might be different for everybody because everyone is going to have different strengths and weaknesses. If somebody's really mentally tough, but they aren't physically conditioned, like they're going to have to work harder because they're not physically fit. And they, they might be able to put up with a lot and suffer with a lot, but they, they might have a much harder physical time getting to, you know, that next elk, like you talked about. Um, you have to be mentally tough because sometimes I know you're going to walk for five days and you might not even see an elk. And so then what are you going to tell yourself? Like it might not be physically hard, but now you're just beaten down mentally. I was somebody who trained every day. I had just gotten done with a squat challenge before our elk hunt. So I did a literally powerlifting centric program the month leading up to our elk hunt. And I squatted, I mean, I weighed 170 pounds or something, squatted over 420 pounds. And guess what that did for me in the mountains? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, you know, you're strong, but when you look over that hill and, you're, and you start to tell yourself, oh, that's too far, I don't want to go. Like now you are not prepared. You have not set yourself up for success. So you need a balance of mental toughness and proper preparedness. And, it, and if you're not, I've heard, you know, getting ready to talk to you and then building my thoughts and starting to talk about how I can use what I do to help this community. I've investigated how people are doing this. And I think there's largely this question being asked, like, what is the best way to prepare for this? To a certain extent, it can be individualized. But um, if you treat it like any other sport, truly look at the needs. And then individualize it towards the person. Um, there's there is a way to do this better, but if you don't have mental toughness, you can be as fit as you want. You're just I mean it's like guys who quit in military training. Sometimes it's the fittest guys, but they're not there between the ears. I've always kept the training philosophy pretty straightforward with people that ask me what I think, um, and I, I've just boiled it down to. Quit spending time on things you're good at. So if you're naturally good at back squatting and weightlifting, cool. You can address your barbell once a week, but we're going to be doing everything that's against that energy system. You're going to be doing some oxidative. You're going to be doing some intervals. You're going to be doing some pain cave versus someone like me who's like, hey, dude, this guy is built for aerobic. Like he's just got like aerobic capacity but if we do a, an anaerobic bout he's on the ground crying you know that's why i spend a lot of time in those on heavier metcons sure. anaerobic bursts because guys i suck at that stuff like it's got my number i still doesn't mean i don't run i don't ruck i don't spend a lot of time working on my strengths i try to work on my weaknesses that's been a good formula for me if you were to give yourself peel back the layers and be like all right what what's the stuff that Jeremy doesn't like to see come out of the hopper? Like, what are those things that that you would not want to see come up? Because maybe those are your things that you could do to actually help your hunting prowess by working on those weaknesses. What are they? Yeah, for sure. I I'm I'm like the opposite. I, I love the strength work, and I think it's because of that experience I had. I I liked getting bigger and stronger. I like being the guy who warms up when my session starts at a weightlifting meet. And I'm still warming up with guys significantly bigger than me. And they're like, shit, when's this guy going to go? And I'm like, after you, you know, cause I, they don't know what I'm going to lift. I like being unpredictably strong like that. But for me, it's that suck and wind 
for a long time, long, grindy, big, deep breaths, high heart rate, high respiratory rate for a long period of time. It's just hard for me. And so to get ready, I mean, so the programs that we've built to get ready for this season are all about building in aerobic base, then implementing some higher intensity interval work, and then getting that time in out in the woods where you're applying that base and that intensity lactate threshold work to the application of being out in the mountains. Cause I mean, you don't, we often don't get to hunt elk out in the plains. <laughs> it's in these mountains. So if you're not ready to navigate these mountains, uh, even out here where I live in New Mexico, um, you're going to have a real hard time. So it's all about pointing this towards September, like a football player, they've got their season. Um, a GPP athlete wants to have a certain level of readiness all the time. But if you wanted to say my job or my focus for the year is to be physically optimized for the month of September, what you're going to do is build in these adaptations over the course of the year, maintain one, focus on another, maintain those, focus on another, so that by September, you're a machine and you are ready to be out in the woods. And if you see a peak and you got to go up and over, it doesn't even come into your mind that, oh, that's long or that's far, or that's going to make me tired. It just goes. Um, and that's how we try to build the the programs now for getting guys ready for that. I love it. I think that uh, a lot of guys will put off training or they'll hunt their way into shape and, and they will get into shape during the hunt. But I think, you know, if you could practice ahead of schedule, stressing your body, providing it with the nutrition to recover, regenerate, repair, restore, sleep, because to me, hunting's nothing more than mitigating fatigue and duress. Like you're under duress and I don't get a ton of sleep. And so going into the elk season, pretty experienced with fighting off the fatigue and the little voice that says sleep in or whatever, you know, everyone has heard my little sayings on this podcast, but, but man, is it a lot harder for someone who hasn't been training to step foot in the mountains and then start that process of, okay, you're from Wisconsin. You live at zero feet elevation. You, your body hasn't had to recover from stress like this ever, or certainly not this entire year. And now you're going to expect it to perform at its best. It's just not, you're just living a pipe dream. So let's talk about the guys coming out West because what's the elevation you live at? At least 5,000 feet. Where are you? What's your elevation? Yeah. I work at like 5,500 feet. I live just under 10,000 feet. And then the mountains that we're in out here, even in unit 34 for New Mexico, I mean, you're, you're probably going to go as low as 7,500 and then be hunting maybe as high as 10,000 feet just in New Mexico. Okay. So when you live at zero feet, you could be the best athlete you could follow. Jeremy could write you this sick program. You execute it, but you come out for your 10 day hunt, which has two days of travel. So your eight day hunt, but you have a hunting partner who wants to shoot too, and you're going to call. So your four day, your four day hunt, we've now, you have four days and day one in the mountains, you got a dull headache and you don't feel right. And day two, you wake up and something's not right. Like you're coughing, something's in your lungs, all that kind of bad stuff that happens at elevation. So 
Is there a way to mitigate altitude sickness, regardless of what shape you're in? Like, do you have any tips? I know that you live there and it's kind of hard to relate, but put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, so you spelled it out. Like we're all on a time limit. I mean, you talk about all the time. It's actually one of the things I like about your program the most by program. I mean, what you're putting out to the world is this idea of, Hey, when you go out and you're living your best life for two weeks in the, in the woods, like your wife's taking care of the kids and run around screaming. And she's like, Hey, I, you know, you put your time and I'm not going to say anything, but it's not like things aren't going home on at home. I like how you consider the full picture the finances of it, the family impact of it, all that stuff. But that being said, the, there's a reason why teams or, or athletes will get out to elevation before they're going to hunt. So the best thing somebody could do, if they're coming from, if you were coming from Texas to do an elk hunt, and if you haven't been training, it's going to kick your ass. If you show up and you're hunting next day, the best thing you could do is give yourself two to three days to acclimate, but that's adding three days to your hunt. That's the best thing you could do. The second best thing you could do is be in shape when you get there. We have something we refer to as, as you know, the VO2 max, which is your body's ability to absorb more oxygen and process more oxygen. The fitter you are, the less of an impact you're going to feel when you get up here into this thinner air, but you're still going to feel it. And so the things you do when you get to that first day is take it slower, just move around, get out and shoot, get out and scout, watch the big, huge, like, you know, ascents and descents, take it slow for the first couple of days because your body does need to acclimate. And we know you can acclimate as early as two to three days depending on how fit and active you came into it. If you came into it not doing much, you're going to have a tough time no matter what. Yeah, I have nothing to add other than just make sure you show up hydrated and stay hydrated. Man, I have felt altitude sickness before. I usually, I didn't get it this year. We hunted over 11,000 feet in New Mexico. But looking back, there's a caveat to that, Jeremy. I was hunting in Idaho two weeks before that between 75 and 9,000 feet. I live at 2,000 feet. So I had two weeks. I had two weeks of there, never got a headache. But when we bumped up and stayed above 11, I felt fine. Whereas years past, if I were to come from Spokane at 2,000 feet and dive right into 11,000 feet, I can guarantee you I'm going to have a headache. I can guarantee you that headache's not going to go away for a full day, no matter how hydrated I am. And I do think being in shape only helps you. You'd be surprised. I know you're newer to the hunting side of things, but I have so many jackasses that will say stuff because hunting's got a lot of ego involved. It certainly does, like anything. And guys compare animals, antler size, um, public land, private land. I'm sure I've done some of that too, but I'm old enough now to realize like you put the ego aside, man. There is no downside to have this lifestyle where you're taking care of your wellness and you have something to train for elk hunting. There's your motivation. God, you don't need any other motivation. I certainly don't. There's your motivation to take care of your body. And it's not about this season. It's about, can Jeremy be elk hunting in the eighties and nineties? And I'm here to tell you, man, like people don't look far enough down the road and life goes by like that. And so wait till you see comments. You'll see comments from time to time where guys are like, I'm not in shape. I, I, I'm just mentally tough. I kill an elk every year. And it's like, that's not the point. 
you're going to see that, man. And welcome to my frustration of like, this is a trajectory. This is something that we train for, but it also bleeds into everything else in life. You got a mortgage, you got a wife, you got a kid, you got a boss. Everybody has those. How can you squeeze all the juice out of elk hunting so that everything gets touched and everyone's experiencing the best Jeremy that there ever was? So what, do you, what, what advice do you have? Long segue. What are your best practices for creating the best possible version of yourself according to Coach Jeremy Graves? I think what's interesting about everything you just said is that this isn't an issue unique to hunting. Right now, I work with pilots, right? These guys who fly the F-16, I mean, they are peak performance. I work with guys who graduated top of their class at the Air Force Academy, like studs, super smart. We talked about pulling 9Gs in the aircraft. Having high blood pressure helps you pull 9Gs. Those guys smoke and drink and eat like shit. And I might catch them. My first time I meet them, they might be 35. And here I am. I'm Jeremy Graves, the strength coach from the Optimizing the Human Weapon System program. I'm here to help you get in shape so you can do, fly, you know, do your job better um, and be a high performer and all this. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? I've been flying this jet since I was 20. I'm 35 now. I smoke. I drink. You know, uh, I eat like shit. And I'm an animal in that thing. And they're beat to hell. Their back hurts. Their neck hurts. When they go home, they just get on the couch. And they're 35. And you'd think they're 45 when you look at them. And so what we tell these guys in terms of being the best version of yourself is you talked about the guys who get out there and they, they kill an elk, but like, how hard is it? On, let, let's say they actually do get out there and they're hiking. It's not some guided hunt. It's not some private land thing. Like they're out there doing what you're talking about, public land, putting in miles, hike. How hard is it for them? What kind of physical price do they pay? Um, what do they maybe risk because they're, uh, um, we're all like probably familiar with people or, or know of people who have either gotten severely hurt out in the field or who have died out in the field because they were walking around cliff faces. They shouldn't, they're fit. They weren't physically ready. They didn't have balance. Maybe they didn't have control of their body because they were too heavy or they were too out of shape or a mistake happened. And now they're physically at risk. Being in shape never has a downside in terms of being more prepared or making what you want to do easier on you to do. So my argument with the pilots is, if you're better in shape, it will take less out of you to go do your job. Your job is now not the hardest thing you'll do, which raises your potential level of performance. It's the same thing with these hunters. We can say it will take you less to accomplish more. Your now end state of what you're capable of accomplishing is now extended. Things, if you can't find an elk or you're having a tough week, now we're extending that. Now you're safer out there. Now you're putting yourself at less risk, which is better for your family. Not to mention, you talked about this idea of training for not this season, but next season, having something to live for that makes you work for something, struggle, strain, persevere, overcome challenge. That's the stuff that rewards us and gives us a quality of life that taking the easy way or just doing what's convenient will never ever provide. And that's the thing I try to tell people when we're saying, why are we training? What, like what's, why maximize performance? 
because it gives us all of that stuff. So where do we go from here, Jeremy? You're obviously going to be doing the seminar stuff on the weekends. Yep. You're a full-time strength and conditioning coach. Just getting into elk hunting, had, had your first year, almost got it done. What do you hope to gain out of this podcast? Like for those that are being exposed to you, do you have anything that you can offer them or how can they get a hold of you? Because honestly, I love talking to you, man. Like some guests, I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, how can I get off? I'm like, Jeremy, when are you doing a CrossFit seminar here in Spokane? Come stay at my house and we'll shoot and work out. Like what, what do you have to offer my audience, the hunting community specifically? Yeah. Well, I mean, selfishly and like, I'm a, I'm kind of like you, I I don't do that. Like anything behind closed doors. My, my big thing is um, starting relationship with you because you're trying to help prepare this, this audience for this lifestyle. And who I think about is the same person I think about when, like, there are plenty of guys who love to work out, love to train right now. And you probably have all those guys, like guys who love going out and shooting and training, like who, which of those guys would not want to be affiliated with what Elk Shape has to offer. But there's probably so many people who want to get into it and don't even know where to start. Um, I have buddies out here. We started a company called Big Game Training Co. or Big Game Training Company. And it provides training um, and resources and programming for targeting the ready state for the specific time of year, basically treating hunting, specifically Western style hunting, like a sport. You, You have a season, you have different adaptations you need, you phase in those adaptations. CrossFit has a huge role in that, although CrossFit is built and predicated on the idea of general readiness at any time well there are elements you need of general physical preparedness in the woods but you also know it's in september and you know it's in the woods and in the mountains so to to a certain extent you know some of those parameters that you need to be ready for you can develop a ready state that fits in well with that you can just beat your head against the wall and be like well i'm just gonna you know i've heard programs talk about i do this one workout every day. And that's what I do. I put on my backpack and I walk or I do step ups and it's like, it could work, but is it the optimal way? You're a super fit guy. So I know from experience and talking to people at seminars, sometimes people see what coaches do or athletes do, and you may not be who you thought you are were when the games were going on, but people see you and they're like, Holy shit. Well, I could never do that. Um, and they might need a more gradual setup. So what I'd like to do, my role with this community is be a part of that in any way people need me to. Um, I'm working on getting the elk, um, the strength and conditioning stuff I've done for you know, 12 years now. And I'm just wanting to be a part of this community in any way that I can, because I found it's actually quite similar to CrossFit. The bow hunting thing is, it's a small community. It's kind of niche but it's full of like-minded people who want to challenge themselves, who want to better themselves, who want to get out and have experiences that they're going to remember, who put you know, the emphasis on those experiences rather than stuff or material things or you know, clout or you know, anything that maybe society wants us to value. 
And uh, I'm addicted to it. I'm all in, man. So helping bring information to people is what I hope to get out of this. I have nothing to add. That was perfect. Guys, I'll put a link to Jeremy's website. He's on Instagram at coach underscore Jeremy underscore Graves. Very knowledgeable. One of the smartest, sharpest guys I've ever talked to when it comes to this field. What a great listen. Appreciate your time. Guys, it's off season, but there is no off season. So keep moving the needle every day. Keep working hard every day and they have better outcoming. Separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. Jeremy, thanks for coming on and giving us some of your time. I do look forward to working with you in the future. Hint, hint. Help me create more programming for bow hunters. This guy's a stud, man. I'm looking forward to connecting with him down the road. This podcast is brought to you by Black Ovis. Discount code ElkShape takes 10% off. Check out my personal project, The Elk Collective, virtual elk hunting resource, digital education, discount code ElkShape podcast, all one word, 20% off. A lot of people have been asking me about the Rep Fitness Gym. Um, I do not have a discount code. I have an affiliate link. It's right off my website, ElkShape.com. I do get credit for when you make an order for your home gym or garage gym with that. And all I do is I take those commissions and I just get more workout equipment. I do like Rep Fitness. I think the prices are better and their shipping's free and their equipment is just as good as anything I've ever used. They're out of Denver. Their COO is a friend of mine and he's a bow hunter and a badass. So Rep Fitness, that's what's up. That's who I rep. Start building on your garage gym or home gym or in the basement one piece at a time pay cash just over time you'll can build up an arsenal of workout equipment vortex nation you know i i don't talk about vortex enough man i I really like their optics i like their lifetime warranty it is transferable so if you buy something off a buddy that warranty follows the product so if anything should ever go wrong they'll fix it no questions asked i love that they're veteran owned they're out of wisconsin um i use the razor hd 10 by 42 binos, the Razor 4000 rangefinder, and the Razor 65 millimeter angled spotter. Those are my three go-tos for anything from bear hunting to elk hunting. Onyx Elite membership. Take advantage of getting all 50 states on your phone and know that the app's going to actually work in the backcountry. They've been out longer than anyone, so they've gotten all the bugs worked out compared to maybe their competitors. They also include in the Elite membership access to hunting full, so you can really dive into strategy on how to get tags for short-term, mid-term, and long-term top rut for draw odds, as well as hunt reminder free to your phone so that you get notifications when applications are due. I remember last year I missed Arizona sheep deadline. I just spaced it. It's kind of in June in that family time of year, and I just ended up missing it. Don't do that. Discount codes elk shape. It'll take 20% off your elite membership. NUMA Outdoors. We just did an elk shape camp down in Texas with Numa at HQ. That was really a great camp. I love Texas. Discount code elk shape 20 takes 20% off. Briefly, Base Haven Layers get their uh, 3L rain gear. It's the quietest rain gear on the market. If you're a bow hunter, the Alpha Vertex jacket, it's basically tailored for bow hunters, literally, so that the sleeves don't get in the way of the string. Fits really well. It's a great mid-layer. Check out the Renegade long sleeve, short sleeve, or quarter zip. Uh, I like the Pursuit pants with the knee pads that can come out, I guess, if you if you want it. I'd never take them out, but you can. Rock the whole system and finish it off with the Palisade Puffy. Black Rifle Coffee Company. Discount code Elk Shape takes 15% off coffee club. Coffee every month delivered to your doorstep with some stickers with a company that supports hunting 
two A, all badasses. They just went public. If you're a coffee drinker, make sure you're drinking Black Rifle, in my opinion, especially if you're a hunter. And last but not least, want to give a shout out to Kifaru, Frank and Aaron. What's up? Appreciate your guys' support. Rocking the new Hellbender. Going to use that in 2022 for all my hunts. Crispy USA, they got some new boots coming out. Can't wait to show you the updated Laponias and more to come on that. Buck Knives USA out of Post Falls, Idaho. Matthews Archery out of Sparta, Wisconsin. And Spy Point Trail Cameras. Appreciate you guys' support. You got a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for choosing ours. We'll catch you on the next one.